The reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, (coughs) every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling And rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So how can we hear God when and if he speaks to us? I suppose a preliminary question is, does he have anything he wants to say? And the answer is yes, most certainly he does. It's not as if God is kind of broadcasting all the time, like Radio 4, and you just need to find the right frequency on the spiritual airwaves and you can tune in to what he has to say. We've got the Bible. It's the Word of God. Gives us, if you like, the basic narrative of salvation that God wants everyone to hear. And that narrative opens with God creating the world by his word of command. God said... Let there be light. 
and there was light. Creation is an act of communication. John's Gospel starts with declaring that Jesus is the Word. God speaking to us in the person of his Son. And when we read what Luke has to say in his two-volume account of Jesus and his followers, there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit speaks through dreams, visions, promptings, prophecies, inspired insights through the interpretation of Scripture. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God speaking to people. Yes, the God of the Bible is the God who speaks. And this God is one who is concerned about every detail of our lives. Who we are, what we do, how our lives work out. And so, if he has stuff to say, it's personal to us. Because he knows us. And if he's speaking, it's because there's something he wants to communicate that's important and worth listening to. He doesn't do it through junk mail through the letterbox or spam in your entry. There will be times when God has something specific to say to you. And the question is, when that moment comes, are we listening? Are we able and prepared to be receptive to what he has to say? And how do we recognise his voice? Sometimes it can be a voice within. Sometimes it's just a matter of allowing him to guide and direct our own thoughts and feelings so that we act out of a kind of sanctified common sense. A very short prayer we've used on Alpha Away Days in the past is by Amy Carmichael, which simply goes, Holy Spirit, think through me till your ideas are my ideas. And if we pray that kind of prayer, then gradually our own minds can become infused with an understanding and a perception of what God wants us to do, because we think God's thoughts. But there will still be times when God actually wants to step in out of the blue, as it were, because sanctified common sense will get you so far. But sometimes God says, actually, Tim, I want you to do this. Or Tim, I've got this to say to you. But when God speaks, it's like a voice that is it is recognisably distinct from my own bright ideas. How do we discern that? If God speaks to us in this kind of way, what he says tends to come with a kind of clarity and conviction. It's not some nebulous bright idea. It is a distinct impression that something needs to happen or something needs to be done. And once you've heard that voice, there's no evading it. It's like if God is real and God speaks, then wow, it's just happened. And if you pray about it, and you talk to other people about it, it will not go away. It keeps coming with a quiet insistence, leaving you in no doubt that if God is real, this is the moment he's telling you to do something. I suspect, though, that these days we're not necessarily very good at listening to the inner voice of God. Our minds are in overdrive all the time. We are constantly being bombarded with excessive quantities of information from all sorts of ways. I'm reading an intriguing book at the moment by the Korean philosopher Byung-Chul Han. Is that how pronounce his name? don't know. It's called The Burnout Society. He explores why at the start of the 21st century we are marked so much by neurological illnesses such as depression, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, borderline personality disorder and burnout syndrome. His thesis is we live in an achievement society. <clears throat> which is characterised by excessive positivity. Too many stimuli, too much information, too many impulses coming at us all at once. He's quite derogatory 
about the supposed virtues of multitasking. He says that is a step backwards. Wild animals need to multitask all the time to survive in the wilderness. They need to be watching and listening to everything going on around them so that they don't get eaten while they're eating. We are, while we are constantly switching attention between different tasks, paying attention to all different sources of information at once, processing so many different things at the same time, he says we are regressing to live like wild animals in the wilderness. By contrast, he says, all the cultural achievements of humanity can be attributed to deep contemplative attention, focusing in depth on one thing. And that's what we see in Simeon and Anna, the two people who meet Jesus and his parents at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. These are both older people who have the time and the space to be open and to wait on God. Now, straight away, I know that those of you who are not old enough to be retired will feel a degree of frustration at holding two old people up as an example when they have nothing better to do than to spend their lives sitting in the temple and waiting for God to speak. That is not realistic in our pressurised society. Anna spends her whole life there, worshipping in prayer and fasting. It's all very well for her, but what about my responsibilities that don't go away? But maybe precisely when we are so busy and under pressure, we need to prioritise even more, somehow the time to be still and listen for the still, small voice of God speaking to us. Wisdom from the 18th century comes to us in the advice of Francis of Sales, who said, half an hour's listening is essential, except when you're busy, then a full hour is needed. Maybe that just makes matters worse for you, I don't know. Can't even find 15 minutes. Yet the message that we need to find space to be still and let God be God needs to be heard, particularly in a pressurized pressurized busy society. Michael Ramsey once said, a church which starves itself and its members in the contemplative life deserves whatever spiritual leanness it may experience. That's a message that we need to hear in church today. Because there's a tendency in some quarters to equate effective service of God with how busy you are, how full your diary is, how much you're doing. As if the harder you work, the more results you'll get. That's not how it works because it can be a little bit random in its approach, actually. All that activity, and if we get lucky, we might end up doing something worthwhile by accident. Far better, actually, to have the discipline to carve out some time to wait on God first. We may not do anywhere near as much, but what we do will be so much more effective. So I know how many of us live our lives at breakneck speed, cramming 18 hours worth of activity into every single day, so that we reach the end of the day and the end of the week strung out and exhausted, and we kind of squeeze church in amongst everything else. And that can just add to the pressure sometimes. It's one more thing to fit into our schedule. One more thing. And when we come, it can be as as hectic as as work as we scurry around doing all the jobs that need to be done and then return home perhaps more drained than refreshed. We had friends come and visit us yesterday. They said their church experience today will start at 8 in the morning and it will be non-stop until half past 2 in the afternoon. Now, the church needs people to work hard like that so other people can be still and encounter God. But if that's all church becomes, 
if it becomes one more thing in our schedule, one more busy thing to get through, then we are, we're going to lose touch with God. And they recognise that they actually need to do something about it before they get, begin to get a bit resentful about this is one more thing to build into their lives. I realise I'm probably shooting myself in the foot here, suggesting church might be part of the problem rather than the solution, because, you know, church wants people to be active in God's service. Yet church can't just be about what we do, about our outputs. Part of it has to be being. Being still in the presence of God. And if there are loads of things to do when you come here on a Sunday, perhaps you're doing too much. Or perhaps there are other times when you need to find the time to be still in the presence of God. So Simeon and Anna were both there in the temple of God. They had the time to wait on God. And the time that they had, they used to make themselves available for God to speak to them. Simeon had heard from God. He'd heard that before his life would come to an end, he would see God's anointed one with his own eyes. Who knows how many years he'd waited until that promise was fulfilled. But when he saw Jesus, he knew this was the moment. What kind of man was Simeon? What can we learn from his example? Luke tells us he was righteous. He was devout. He was totally committed to his faith. He was waiting for God. For God to save his people and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So that day, he found himself in the right place at the right time to meet Joseph and Mary and hold the infant Jesus in his arms. Here's a man who was available to God, who allowed God to direct his life. His faith was his priority. His life was unencumbered by the clutter of immorality. The Holy Spirit governed his heart and his mind. He'd learned the value and the importance of waiting on God. And as such, he didn't just see the fulfilment of what God had promised him, he also had a word of prophecy for Mary. Because sometimes when God speaks to us, he does it through other people who have themselves spent time listening to God so that they have something important to say to the rest of the world. And then there's Anna. Once widowed, she devoted the remaining decades of her life to God, worshipping in fasting and prayer. A full stomach can make it more likely, perhaps, that shutting your eyes to pray will simply result in you dozing off to sleep. Fasting can sharpen the spiritual senses. It gives practical expression to that verse that Jesus quoted in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It reminds us that we're spiritual as well as physical beings. There's no right way to do it. I don't want anyone here depriving themselves of the food at the point of making themselves unwell. But fasting can be a way of saying to God, for today, or for this mealtime, instead of filling my stomach with food, I want you to fill my heart with your presence and my mind with your word. And Anna prayed as well. Sometimes we use too many words in prayer. It can be a bit of a monologue to God. Sometimes fewer words can be better. Jesus spent a long time praying, but didn't necessarily use a lot of words. Sometimes prayer can just be contemplating God. Rowan Williams said it's a bit like sunbathing. You sit in the sun... And you get a suntan through just being there. You don't have to try to get the tan. You are just there in the presence of God. Prayer is just being in the presence of God. As one man once said, I go to church, I look at him, he looks at me. 
That's prayer. If you need something to fill your mind, just a simple phrase to meditate and reflect upon can help. But too many words can be a hindrance. Wait. Listen. Be aware that God is with you because he surely is. Make yourself available. You can't make God talk, but if you make yourself available, he might. Last year, I spent uh, a couple of days at an annual conference for the ministers of larger Baptist churches. And being naturally a bit of an introvert, I used to slip out sometimes to wander around the park next to the conference centre, thinking, praying as I did so. I remember at one point thinking, I'm not achieving very much here, am I? But the last time I kind of went for a tour around the park, it was like all sorts of thoughts and ideas just fell into place at once. Boom, 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 boom. I thought, oh, yes. That's what needs to happen. But I needed the mental space to clear before God had the freedom to speak to a receptive mind. So it is making yourself available. If God has stuff to say, then you can be in the right place, in the right frame of mind to hear whatever it is he has to tell you. Something called, someone called George Gissing put it, that way, put it this way. For not by deliberate effort of thought does a man grow wise... The truths of life are not discovered by us. At moments unforeseen, some gracious influence descends upon the soul, touching it to an emotion which we know not how the mind commutes into thought. But this can only happen in a calm of the senses, a surrender of the whole being to passionless contemplation. So we're going to conclude our service today by giving you a few moments two, three minutes, to reflect on a verse of scripture. It's from Psalm 48. Can we have it on the screen, please, Richard? It simply says, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. The fellowship of contemplation suggests praying through words of scripture like this in three ways. Firstly, we listen with our minds, attempting to understand better the context of the scripture spoken to us. Then we listen with our hearts, Receiving the saying in the context of now, spoken in us. Finally, we use our will to enable the words to be spoken through us, to a person or situation for whom we wish to pray. Understand what it means, God speaking to you. Receive it for yourself, God speaking in you. Pray it for others, God speaking through you. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. We do that in a period of quiet now. Thank you, Lord, that when you speak, you speak words of truth and grace. We can trust you because you are faithful.